Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood before and after it begins, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here with Dr. Laura Shaheen. Shaheen. <laughs> Laura Shaheen. Machine. Yes. Um, here to help you face these challenges head on. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so, um, how do you want me to call you, Laura or Dr. Shaheen? Um, Dr. Shaheen. Would okay. Be great. Dr. Shaheen, which is so great. Thank you for doing that because it's this really funny thing about um, which we can go on and on about. Hello, listeners. But we can go <laughs> on and on about how um, women get introduced as physicians. So thank you. So Dr. Shaheen is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist, and she practices here in Seattle, a Pacific Northwest fertility and IVS specialist. She's also a machine on social media. Um, and one of the things that's so nice is that she's very accessible and friendly, um, but she's also most proud, really, of not just her experiences of motherhood and connecting with her children and that task, but the task of connecting with patients and families and using all the tools at your expense. So I'm so happy that you're here. She's deeply committed to the emotional and psychosocial aspects of infertility and the challenges that face men and women who want to be parents and have a challenge doing so, and spends full-time practice really taking care of people on the medical side and is on faculty at the University of Washington as well. And she's the director of the Center for Recurrent Pregnancy Loss at Pacific Northwest Fertility. So she's a smarty pants, and she knows what she's doing. But she's also wildly prolific on Instagram, and she's on LinkedIn, she's on Twitter, and she's also on Facebook. So she's really committed to the whole package of really getting information out to patients and families. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, so what we're going to try to do is just kind of face this head on, but also really just kind of at large. Let's talk what's what it, what is infertility and then help us understand the difference between infertility and secondary infertility. What does that mean? Great. So infertility is um, trying to conceive, but it's taking longer than 12 months or 12 cycles. That's the standard definition. And secondary infertility is the same thing, trying to conceive, having difficulty conceiving after 12 months, but have been successful in the past. So if you have a child and you're struggling to have a sibling, that's secondary infertility. So we thought, thank you, and we thought in some ways doing a podcast on Mama Doc because a lot of you are already here because you have children and you may be struggling to have a second child. But I think all of the information that I've read and and follow you on social media that I learned from you is kind of applicable to life at large, but also um, to both of those conditions of primary and or secondary infertility. Um, so what, like, first and foremost, it's funny what you say the 12-month. I mean, do you, do you think couples who are having challenges should wait until 12 months to talk with a clinician like you or a reproductive specialist? Like, what's... What, like, what do you tell your girlfriends who text you with challenge? Or, like, what do you, what do you tell your roommates from college? Like, right. what's the inside scoop? That's so great. Well, the um, American Society of Reproductive Medicine does recommend that if the female partner is over the age of 35, that they should get a checkup sooner, so after trying for six months. Um, but um, if you're under 35... 80% of the time, you will conceive with those 12 months. Hmm. So sometimes um, people come in, they stop their birth control, it's been three months, and they're 29 years old, and they're coming into a fertility specialist, <laughs> which is fine. We're happy to see everybody. Yeah. But um, sometimes a lot of it is trying to help people realize what's normal and not normal. So tell, what is normal? Go through some of those statistics. Sure. It's a lot of it has to do with age, and I yeah. think that's really important. Age is the number one predictor for um, healthy eggs and success with fertility treatment. And so in your 20s, you know, it's just not like how they told us in high school. 
It's not. <laughs> well, nothing is really like they told us in high school. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> so it's not like you look at somebody and all of a sudden get pregnant, all right? Yeah, so right, when right. we're in our mid-20s, we're probably actually the most fertile that we're going to be. Uh-huh. And each cycle with one egg and one sperm, it's about a 20, 25 percent chance that you get pregnant mm-hmm. and have a baby. So it's pretty low even at your peak. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And by the time we're, the female partner's in the mid, her mid 30s, like 35, that's actually dropped in half. So each cycle is about a 12, uh, 10 to 12 percent chance of getting pregnant and having mm-hmm. a baby. And so just to clarify that, that's each menstrual cycle or each fertility cycle, meaning that it isn't like you you up the chances by three if you have sex three times during the time that you think you're ovulating, right? That is the great. whole cycle. Very good point. Yeah, because I think it feels like you can game those numbers. <laughs> and you can work really hard at those numbers. That's right? great. And it can be devastating, right, on some right. level if you think you're upping your odds and it's just that at large. Right. Your chances are kind of one in four, one in five if you're in your mid-20s and everything's perfect. Right. Let alone, yeah. Right. So it seems like um, – and then what happens after – sorry, let's go back. So what happens after 35? So you said sure. the numbers kind of go in half at 35. And then what happens for those of us who are older than that? Even? Yeah. At 40, it's about 5% each month. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about it, it's one egg and one sperm and all the stars have to align. And, you know, in a year, we basically have about 12 tries. Yeah. If you cycle regularly and mm-hmm. don't have – yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and you have perfect intact for male and female fertility. Right, right. Yeah. right. But also, the, you could, you know, on the flip side, it's okay if it takes a couple of months. You know, um, it, it might be normal that it's taking a few months and keep trying for a little bit. Yeah. So why do you say that? It might be normal. What does that um, mean? Because, you know, eighty percent of people will conceive within a year of trying. Yeah. And so if they, you know, jump into um, treatments kind of early, uh-huh. maybe they could have been successful. Yeah. You know, on their own. So it's it's very personal. But I definitely think talking to someone and getting a checkup to make sure you're not missing something uh-huh. um, sooner rather than later is a really good idea. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to start IVF or treatment, uh-huh. but you could at least get a checkup and make sure you're not missing something. Do those checkups? You know, typically I think right away I just I think of like the dollar signs for families and for folks with insurance. You know, that original consult with a fertility specialist, if you're under a certain window or not, are those typically covered by insurance yes. or the first one is? Yeah. Most yeah. Um, most insurance companies will at least cover the evaluation, not necessarily the treatment, yep. but um, and the initial testing as well most of the time. Yeah. So that's reassuring, actually, Very. that healthcare kind of takes on and understands the, the emotional aspect of that. That's good. Um, what are let's talk about um, what are kind of the when you are doing a spiel with someone and trying to calm them down, right? So for listeners listening and they're either having a hard time with secondary infertility, meaning they've had a child and they're having a hard time having another child, or they've had two children having a hard time having a third and maybe devastated by that or really anxiety ridden. What are the typical causes? Like how does it? What are the buckets? How does it break down? Sure. So um, there. Pretty much the same causes as you would think of for primary infertility because things can change over time. So you think about, um, you know, male factor, right? So just because someone has fathered a child in the past, it doesn't mean that his fertility is still the same as it was a few Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And so you should do a semen analysis. It's Mm -hmm. rare, but sometimes people can stop making sperm. Yeah. You just can't assume. Um, And then the rest of the testing really depends, you know, on the female side. So you think about anatomy. So has something changed? Is all of a sudden the fallopian tubes blocked? Or what happened in the delivery? You know, was there a C-section or infection? Or most of the time it's perfectly fine. Uh But why not do a little bit of an anatomy checkup to make sure nothing has changed? And is that a hysterosalpingogram or is that something 
different you, than that now. Yeah, so yes, in that usually it takes two tests to kind of really get a full picture of huh. female anatomy. Just a regular pelvic ultrasound will show you kind of the outside of the uterus and really give you a window into the ovarian health. Uh-huh. And then what you can't see on a regular pelvic ultrasound is whether the fallopian tubes are open. Yeah. So that is that test you just mentioned, the hysterosalpingogram. Yeah, I've had that thing. And let me tell oh. you, that is no fun. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, <laughs> I, you, everybody's I jumped different. off the table oh, when I did that. I'm sorry. You know, I just, it is yeah. a clear memory for me. Yeah. 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 Jumping off the table. Painful yeah. is all I was saying. And the only reason I say that is, and it's brief, it's like a lightning strike and then it's gone. So Good the point. pain is so fast. It's like mm-hmm. a shot. Yeah. But it did, it did surge in a way of like not, I couldn't grab my arm like after a tetanus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like inside my fallopian tube pain. Oh. It was really unusual. Anyway, yeah, I remember that. So, okay, so workups, and I don't think we need to get into workup. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what do you think about what can, you know, I think the world tells us a lot. I mean, we are, when we want to be a parent and it's hard to be a parent, the messages seem like they're everywhere, right? Like literally from billboards to, I remember when I was having a hard time getting pregnant, like walking around University Village, which for those of you who don't live in Seattle, it's this outdoor shopping area and center, but like, it is like a mom brigade. Like mm-hmm. there are like a bajillion people with their strollers and everybody seems to have their happy latte and everything looks awesome. And when you're not <laughs> able to be a parent and you're looking at parenthood through that lens, it's kind of excruciating. Absolutely. And all the things that people say. So in your experience as an, a compassionate expert, Tell us a little bit about that situation. Like, what have you learned? Oh, absolutely. So um, I remember uh, my daughter's first birthday um, party. Many of the parents came up and said, when are you having another one? (laughs) And um, I actually struggled to have her. And I was like, wow, I'm just celebrating the fact that I have this little one right here. And, um, you know, reproduction is not small talk. I didn't say that, but I just changed the (laughs) subject. (laughs) Like, back yeah. off. You were kind of normal. Yeah, back off, sister. Have a piece of cake. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I well, I remember it's funny on that. I mean, I had a similar story. I remember when I found out my second son was a son, right? I have two boys. And someone was like, so you're going for the third? Oh, my gosh. And I gosh, thought, wait, already. he's not even born yet. Like, there's nothing wrong with him. Like, what? what, how could, what? Like, how Absolutely. is it possible that you Absolutely. think that that's a failure on some behalf, right? So, and that's not even about infertility, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the messages are just culturally embedded in family expectations and our own mm-hmm. personal expectations, right? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, or even the spacing of siblings. It's mm-hmm. like embedded that they should be two years apart. And yeah. so when you're trying and you're doing the mental math, you're like, oh, my gosh, if I don't get pregnant this month, then they're going to be two and a half years apart. And then they're going to be three years apart. And then, oh, my God, they're not going to go to college because they're yeah. too far apart. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we go all the way down the road. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Of devastating tragedy. Yeah. yeah. But it can feel that way, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so what have you learned like, what are some of the things to watch out for? Like, what guidance do you give from a psychosocial support standpoint to couples? I think primarily women get a lot of these messages. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to say that men don't, but I think that w- there is a, a burden that is carried by women who are trying to get pregnant yeah. in partnerships. That's great. Well, I think um, one of my best things to think about and advise is to get a checkup sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Like I, in general, don't want to recommend things out of fear, make people worry, but Mm -hmm. um, people are starting their families a little bit later and they might have, it might be very easy for them to conceive their first child and then really struggle to have their second. And so it's important to get an evaluation sooner rather than later. I see a lot of, um, um, I don't know if denial is the right word, mm. but just like, no, this is this is what I do. This is what my body does. I know I can get pregnant. And then they wait and wait and wait, and they come to me, you know, pretty distraught. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just getting an evaluation sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And what do you, what do you think? What are some sound bites that you can reassure people who are trying and struggling? Like what have you learned? Like just from a standpoint of. I don't mean to be kind of vacant about it or, or like inflated, but like what do you tell people who are trying that haven't yet been successful? Yeah. Well, I say you're your own best science experiment. You know, look at, you know, when you're struggling, you know, look at that, you know, child that you have and give them an extra hug and just know that you can do it mm-hmm. and that we have options um, as far as treatment. And if you really do want a sibling for that child, then there's going to be a way to do it. It might not be the path that you were expecting. You mm-hmm. might have to be open to alternatives, mm-hmm. but it can really happen. Yeah, I remember telling a couple friends, but I think it was because someone gave me the advice was just like, you know, if you want to be a parent, you'll be a parent, mm-hmm. right? If it's through the foster care system or if it's through an adoption program or it's through reproductive technology or donation, sperm donation or, you know, surrogacy, who knows what, right? I mean, what's complicated about that are financial resources that are typically necessary. But I even think in situations where we don't have a lot of financial resources, if you want to be a parent, you can, right? And yeah. I think um, whoever told me that, I think someone told me that. I don't think I came up with that, but I, I think it provided me solace in a time when it was hard for me to get pregnant and, mm. um, you know, and and it may, and to your point, it just made it may be a different color than you expect it to be, like, or the weather may not be what you thought it was going to be, you know, I mean, it's kind of, um, but it's certainly, if we're motivated to rear and raise a child, I think most people, thankfully, um, have rights to do that mm-hmm. and opportunities to do that here. So, um Let's talk a little bit about um, the trends in – I think there's a lot of writing around what's happening, both because I think we've done great with long-acting reversible contraception. Like our teenage and unplanned pregnancy in young adult women is down. Um, so I think less unplanned pregnancy is happening. But what else is happening nationally in the fertility rate? Like what's happening in the United States? Oh, sure. So the rates just came out for 2017, and um, the fertility rate is down. So mm-hmm. um, for – uh, and it's been trending downward for a number of years. So in our peak in 1957, I believe, the baby boom, <laughs> it was 122 babies per 1,000 women between the ages of 15 and 44. And then – Wow. Wow. High. And, yes. Yikes. And in 2017, yeah. it was 60. So it's really huh. halved in that sh- – well, over 50 years. So so the, the quick thing is, oh, w- women's lib, kind of like, you know, women are getting educated longer, potentially working and finding people longer. Where Everyone points to the millennials of like, they don't even get married and they wait a long time, right? And then yes. they don't even know if they want to have kids, right? Yes. I mean, what are the other reasons? Are there health implications to it or is it really choice? That is great. I do think it's a lot about choice and education and women delaying starting family. Yeah. Some of it might be education and just assuming that IVF can overcome everything. Hmm. I see that a lot in my practice. Hmm. Um, a lot of people talk about environmental toxins and um, decreasing sperm counts throughout the globe. Um, is that true? Are there decreasing mm-hmm. sperm counts? Yes. Yeah. And um, maybe this is impacting egg quality and huh. um, success in pregnancy. Wow. So I think there's a, there's a trend, and it, we can't just blame women who decide to stay educated and be in a career. There can be other factors, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's not blame them for that since many of us waited a long time to have our kids because of all our education. But, you know, it's interesting, too. I almost feel like there's pushback for younger women who have babies earlier, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
we have a, a nanny who helps us with our children who's having a baby soon. And she's not even very young. She's in her late, late 20s. But I think there she even has a feeling like it's early in some way. So it's an interesting distortion, I think, whenever we, we can all feel like outliers, right, yeah. at different times that way. Um, so, okay, so let's let's end by just giving some quick tips in some ways. If you're listening or you send this podcast off because um, you know someone who's having a hard time, what what I know you talk about kind of getting in and getting an evaluation. Don't wait, right? Um, what are other things that – where could people go online? Like what's a good resource to kind of just feel better and be empowered with the right information and a, a solid approach? Absolutely. So resolve.org is a wonderful patient-run organization with um, support groups all over the United States. You can plug in your – um, zip code, and there's at least three in the Seattle area. Hmm. Um, and they have a lot of really good content um, as far as what to expect from, you know, going to see a fertility doctor, what the normal rates of getting pregnancy, just really good education. Yeah. Um, and I think that the emotional aspect is something that's really important to take care of. Um, people feel very uh, isolated and ashamed with infertility just in general. Mm -hmm. But with secondary infertility, they feel even more alone, like they can't reach out mm -hmm. because they often hear, well, you already have a child. You know, <laughs> you know, I know my friend down the street, she can't even have one. So, yeah, you know, she, what yeah, are you crying about? Yeah, yeah. So real. they just kind of keep to themselves because it feels selfish on some mm -hmm. level, even though it's clearly not. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what do what do you advise those women to do? To speak out and to kind of go to a support group type environment, or yeah. Yeah. yeah, and to realize that they're not alone and that it's not selfish, and in a way, they have um, this sibling that they're trying to provide. So there's somebody else in the equation. So it can even feel more dramatic than primary infertility yeah. in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, I think the other thing, you know, um, I'm, I feel like I'm going to say your name wrong again. Machine, machine, <laughs> Shani, Shani, Shaheen. Shaheen. Why can't I say it? What's wrong with me? Shaheen. Um, Dr. Laura Shaheen's second book. Um, I just love the title. I actually love the photo on the cover, too, with oh. the kind of metaphor of the broken cup. Yeah, but um, it's called Not Broken, An Approachable Guide to Miscarriage and Recurrent Pregnancy Loss. So we didn't get into that very much today. We talked about the kind of challenge of getting pregnant, not the challenge of loss. But, I mean, the statistics that you've shared with me, too, are that um, miscarriage is so common that 50 percent of pregnancies after the age of 40 end in miscarriage, which is typical. And even when you're 25, 15% of a pre So you get pregnant and 15% of those because of chromosomal abnormalities or not meant to be or didn't divide quite right early, yeah. right? That um, they happen. So, but that's her book that you can reach out for too. Any last little sound bites? Oh, just so happy to be here. Thank you for speaking about this because this is going to really help a lot of people. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. One last statistic um, that you've shared that I love so much is that here just in Seattle, for example, the national average of families raising one child is about 20% of families are raising a single child. Um, but here in Seattle in 2015, the Seattle Times reported that 47% of families have one child. So if you have one child, you might really intentionally want one child. But if you have one child and you're struggling with secondary fertility, you really aren't alone. That almost half of families here in Seattle area are just like you. Um, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. The reality, clearly, is parenting is a high-stakes job. And the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. 
reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 